Good morning, everybody. So we are in the middle of a sermon series, a short sermon series, in which I have the pleasure of being able to chat to you on the topic of the church as body. The church as body. And I maybe want to start out this morning by saying to you that I love the church. In fact, I love the church so much that I am I'm fascinated by its buildings. And so when I've had the, the opportunity of traveling around a bit, of visiting around, going to different places, mostly conferences, I've always made it my, my duty. I've made it my goal. Where, wherever I go, wherever I find myself, to go and visit one of the church buildings. <clears throat> and so I've had the, the privilege and the opportunity of visiting a number of fascinating church buildings. The, the largest church I ever had the privilege and the opportunity of visiting was Cologne Cathedral. Um, this cathedral is built in what they call the Gothic architectural style. Very intricate, high ceilings, vaulted ceilings with um, flying buttresses. Um, this cathedral is a World Heritage Site and it has got the largest facade of any church in the world. In fact, it's got two spires that reaches to 157 meters in the sky. It's fascinating. The church was built in the 1200s. Um, it took them about 300 years to finish building it, and they're still busy renovating it at this very moment. The smallest church building I've ever had the, the privilege of visiting is called the Land of Oratory. And in fact, it is in South Africa. So when you travel from Durban um, and you come on the N3 um, and you come up Van Rienens Pass and you're just about to leave KwaZulu-Natal um, and cross over into the Freistaat, um, there's a small little town there called Van Rienen. And if you were to go and visit the coffee shop over there, right outside the coffee shop, they have what is called the Land of Oratory, a, a small church that is made for eight people. So you can literally walk into this consecrated Roman Catholic Church building that has got four pews to seat eight people. And when you're in it, you know, you expect Ken and Bobby at any given time to, to, to come into the church for a worship service. Obviously, Bobby would be dressed like a nun. But that's the smallest church that I've ever had the privilege of visiting. The most unique church building that I've ever had the privilege of visiting is St. George's Cathedral in Addis Ababa. It is built in an octagonal shape and it was actually the place that was used to coronate Emperor Haile Selassie. In fact, the day I visited there, the period I visited there, um, the church temporarily was housing the sarcophagi of Haile Selassie and his wife. Um, and because of that, it's a place that a lot of Rastafarian people um, use um, to go to as a, as a kind of a place for, for pilgrimage. The mo one of the other most fascinating cathedrals that I've had the, the privilege of visiting because of its beautiful stained glass is Notre Dame Cathedral 
um, in Paris. But you know, the saddest church building that I've ever had the privilege of visiting is in Jerusalem, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. And as the name suggests, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is built on the site that is believed to house the tomb and to also be the place where Jesus was crucified and where, and where he was buried. And so I had the opportunity of exploring that old church building. And I found many interesting things, many intriguing things while visiting there. In fact, one of the things I discovered is that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem is actually owned by five different church denominations. And you would think that therefore it would be a very glorious place to visit. However, and the evidence is on YouTube, you will discover that the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, this very place that, that commemorates, that celebrates the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, is also a place where Christians often think that it's a place for them to experience WWE wrestling. A place where people you would think would gather together in worship of God in a way that is pleasant is actually a place where many fights have broken out over the most mundanest of things. So because if you are wanting to maybe, you know, because the place is old and it's kind of dreary and um, it's very dusty, you know, so, so if you want to sweep your section of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you have to write letters and ask permission for, from some of the other denominations in order for that to happen. Because if you don't do that, a fight could literally break out. In fact, as you enter into the, the entrance of the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, you will see right up on one of the, of the ledges, there's a ladder leaning up against a, a window. And that ladder has been standing there since the early 1900s already because um, one of the, 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 the church denominations wanted to clean the windows. But because they had not asked permission for that, um, the whole thing was kind of dragged into a red tape and that ladder is still standing there today and those windows remain unwashed. The saddest place. Now there are, there are a few other churches that I hope one day I might be able to visit. St. Basil's Cathedral in Moscow. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Maybe the, the stone churches of Lalibela or even the castle church at Wittenberg. The very place where Martin Luther 503 years ago posted his 95 theses on the church door. In fact, yesterday the 31st of October is the day that on which that is celebrated, also known as All Hallows' Eve. Um, some people call it Halloween. But today is actually All Souls' Day, because, you know, many, many years ago, the 31st of October, besides celebrating the Day of the Reformation, was a day in which Christians would gather to think about those who have departed, those who are saints, um, and remember them and seek to live their lives in the way in which they have lived. But you know, with all of these churches that I've had the privilege of visiting, you know, and we need to recognize that there are all kinds of churches, maybe for all kinds of people, especially in the United States of America. I mean, I was fascinated when we visited there to discover that in the USA, you even have 
churches for chickens. Because, you know, the Sunday we were there and having attended Second Baptist Church um, in, a, in Decatur, in Atlanta, um, and going to worship, you know, under the golden arches of McDonald's, we drove past a place that said Church's Chicken. And I discovered that's just another different version for, for KFC. But anyway, but you see the, base, the basic truth that we learn in that lesson is this is that the church is more than just a building. Because you see the most beautiful, the most magnificent, the most colorful church that I've ever had the privilege of visiting is the one that I'm looking at right now. Because the church is people. And here we are, privileged today as God's people to gather in the cathedral of nature. What better place to worship God? Ah, of course it is a bit windy, but I think if somebody were to close the gate behind me, it might actually help a little bit. <laughs> but there's this one basic truth that we need to realize in Scripture that the Bible teaches us. That the church is people. The church is not a building. The church is not a denomination. The church is not a tradition. The church is not an organization. The church is not an institution. The church is not a place even for Christian entertainment. The church is not a Christian social club. Okay, maybe it's the club of the Lion of Judah, you know, maybe it's something like that. Um, the church is people. Those who have been called out of the world. Those who have been called to Christ. Those who have been called to be in Christ. And those who have been called for service. You see, there are many different definitions one could, could, could um, suggest or one could discover that people would want to use to describe what church is. But I like to think of church in terms of these four prepositions. The church is called out of the world the church is called to Christ to be in Christ and to be of service for the world the church is the body of Christ and so we have learnt and as we Bevan has reminded us last week that there are many metaphors many word pictures that the Bible uses to describe what the church is some of these will describe the church as the bride of Christ or the church as a holy temple or maybe even the church as the household of faith, the church as family in other words, which is even a description of the church that we find within the book of the Bible I'm going to be drawing your attention to very soon. But you see of all these metaphors, of all these pictures that the Bible uses to describe the church, the most functional of all of these metaphors, the most functional of all of these pictures is the church as a body. It is a picture that we find described in the Bible, especially in the New Testament in different places. We find it in Colossians chapter 1 verse 18. We find it in Romans chapter 12 from verse 4 to verse 5. 
<coughs> we find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 from verse 12 to verse 27 and we also find it in the passage we're going to be reading from today probably the most well known of all of the passages in the New Testament that describes the church as body and that's Ephesians chapter 4 a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a house church you see that's the picture we must have in our mind people who gathered in homes and so the church in the New Testament wasn't a very large church it wasn't a church that focused upon a building it was people who gathered within their homes people who gathered sometimes even within the so-called town square people who gathered outdoors like we are doing today but with one purpose in mind and that is to worship God and to function as his body and so as we read this passage today please spare thought that the, the, the church in Ephesus is a church that while it died out many many years ago has been rebirthed and is still in existence today in a sense you would have been following the news and you know of the earthquake that has rocked parts of Greece and part of Turkey today the city of Izmir is what the city of, of Ephesus was called in the New Testament times a few years ago I had the privilege of having lunch at a conference with one of the Baptist ministers of the church the Baptist church in Izmir so as we read Ephesians chapter 4 please spare thought and please pray for our brothers and sisters and the, and the many citizens of the, of the city of Izmir. Ephesians chapter 4 from 1 to verse 16 says the following. As a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all but to each one of us grace has been given as christ has appointed it that is why it says when he ascended on high, he, made he, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. <coughs> what does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all, high, higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14 then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth 
by the waves and blown like we are here through every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From Him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so we pray, dear Heavenly Father, as we ponder these words that you have given to your church, the church in Ephesus, the church, your body, throughout the world today, we pray that we might become your church as we exercise your body. Through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. And so, allow me just to share with you some thoughts as to what this passage, I believe, is teaching us in terms of what it means to be the body of Christ. In fact, I want to suggest that there are three vital characteristics or what you might call three vital statistics um, that describes and that should characterize the body of Christ. And those three things, if you have read carefully and you've listened carefully, are unity, diversity, and charity. Unity, diversity, and charity. The first six verses of the passage emphasizes the first important vital characteristic of the church, that it must be a community that is characterized by unity. The church, as the body of Christ, has to be a community that is characterized by unity. You see, unity and unity in the church was so important that even when Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, and before he gave up himself, before he sacrificed his own body for us, prayed, for many things, but most importantly, prayed that they might be one. Because Jesus understood how important it is for believers to be one. <coughs> Unity is very important. In fact, it is so important. Just think about the very motto of South Africa. It emphasizes unity. Now, if you remember um, the old motto of South Africa, um, it kind of captures and characterizes, you know, the importance um, and, and what unity is able to bring. You know, the, the old motto used to be, unity is strength. Yundrach, mach, mach. Maybe I should have said that in the, in the voice of PW, you know, but anyway, may he rest in peace. Um, but, you know, something of that motto was carried over into, into the new motto of South Africa. Ke it karake. Um, I don't think if I said that properly, Bevan. Oh, um, glad I haven't uttered profanities in, in the Khoisan language, but thank you very much, you know. What does that motto mean? It means diverse people unite. You see, I think it's a principle that we all know very well. 
that unity is very, very important. Unity brings strength. And if the church as the body is able to be unified, there's so much that would be able to be accomplished. So in the passage, the Apostle Paul emphasizes that there's so much that has made us and that will enable us to become unified. The church needs to be unified in its calling, says verse 1. The church needs to be characterized by unity. The church in its character should, be, should emphasize unity, verse 2. The church should be united in its commitment, verses 3. The church should be united in its convictions, verses 4 to verses 6. Because what did we read over there? Make every effort, says the Apostle Paul, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because there is only one body. There is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope. When you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and who is, who is through all. And if Christ has called us to be one, why are we so many? So many different churches so many different denominations so many different expressions and yes one can understand why that is sometimes necessary and the very reason um, why why the the world is divided because of the protestant reformation as it's as it's called and while we might need all kinds of churches for all kinds of people the question is this, are we able to truly be united? You see, that is what the passage calls upon us to, to exercise. Unity, despite our diversity. Because you see, that's the second characteristic that the, the passage emphasizes and that the, the passage acknowledges. It is a unity that encompasses diversity. You see, unity does not necessarily mean uniformity. I mean, just, just take a look at this world that God has created. Look at, look at the wonder of this world. Look at its diversity. Not just one kind of tree. Many kinds of trees. Look at the plants around us. Not just one kind of plant but many different kinds of plants, many different kinds of animals, many different kinds of people. But despite that diversity, there is unity and not necessarily uniformity. Because, I mean, just imagine if everybody looked like me or behaved like me or thought like me, not only would my wife be confused, but this world would be a very, very boring place. And so God has given us a world that is diverse. And God has given us a body that consists of a lot of diverse parts. And so um, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us in verse 7 that God has given us a diversity in grace. But that God has also given us a diversity in gifts. Look at verses 8 through verses 11. A diversity in gifts that results in a diversity in growth. You see, the passage tells us over here that this one God 
has made us into a body that consists of different parts and yes each of the parts of the body is very very important and while some parts of the body might be deemed more useful or be deemed more honorable I mean just you just need to ask you know um, Vaughan and Lloyd and other medical professionals I mean even the appendix has got some kind of function and so as the body is a diversity and as each part has got its own use and has got its own purpose so the so we as the church we as the body of Christ each one of us has got our own purpose and our own function now now in this passage there are a number of gifts that are mentioned um, some are called to be apostles, some are called to be prophets, some are called to be evangelists, some are called to be pastors, teachers. Um, it is actually one concept that the passage is talking about over here. But these are not the only gifts that God has given to us. In fact, if you read the New Testament, you could probably come up with a list of more than 30 different gifts that God has given to the church. And so each one of us has been afforded grace to each one of us has been afforded a specific expression of God's grace so that each one of us has been granted a gift. Now, yes, some gifts might be more spectacular than others and some gifts might place one in a position of leadership, but every single gift is important and every single gift is necessary. Why? Because it's not so much just about the gifts, because the passage tells us that God has given us a diversity of gifts. Each part of the body has been given a unique gift for a purpose. And that purpose is described as follows, to equip His people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of Christ. You see, to put it in another way, God has given us a diversity of gifts. That is the very tools that will help us to build the church in unity and to become unified in its purpose. And the purpose is Christian maturity. And so we mustn't be like leaves tossed about by the wind. But we need to, through the gifts that God has given us, through the exercising of these gifts, work together to build the church up in unity. But you see, the passage does not just end there. The passage tells us that there's a third characteristic, a third element that is very important, that actually makes this unity in this diversity possible and that is through the third characteristic and that characteristic is the characteristic of charity unity diversity charity what is charity you see charity is this old english word that describes sacrificial love you see we we have taken the word to mean today um, a charitable act of service which actually is derived from that idea you know, when we, when we do something that is nice, like when we have charities, you know, um, in which we do nice things for other people. But you see, at the very heart of that word, charity is this idea of 
love. Love that was demonstrated through Jesus when He sacrificed Himself, when He hung on that cross, even though He did not deserve it, but poured out His grace to everyone so that we might be able to experience the benefits of that, of that love. So it is a diversity that accomplishes unity sustained by charity. You see, charity, sacrificial love, the love that is poured out by the grace of Christ is the very fuel that should drive the body of Christ. Charity is the basis and the fuel for our unity. And the passage tells us it facilitates so many different things. It facilitates truth, but ultimately enables maturity. It is the great African theologian, St. Augustine, I think who summarized this very well. He said, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, tragedy. In all things, charity. You see, the tragedy that I discovered when I visited the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is to discover that what we have within the church there is a dysfunctional body. Something that we as the body of Christ could easily become if we do not allow the love of Christ, the charity that He has demonstrated to us to become evident within our lives and in the way in which we live and the way in which we minister. You see, we are the body. We are the church. And I think it is a, a special grace that Christ has afforded us to be able to be gathered in a manner such as this. Because yes, while COVID, the COVID pandemic has been, um, has been tragic, it has, it has resulted in the loss of life. It has resulted in a disruption of, of that in which we have experienced to be normal. But it's also placed us in a position to ask ourselves as to the meaning of things. And one of the things I believe it has asked us to reconsider is, what does it mean to be church? What does it mean to be part of the body of Christ? And I think as we, as we draw our service to a close today, and as I draw my, uh, my message this morning to us to a focus, but also to a challenge, the challenge I would like to ask us is this. Which part of the body are we? And are we as that part of the body that has experienced and that has been granted a particular gift? Are we exercising that gift in order to become, in order to function as the church? Because remember, the church is not a building. The church is not an organization it is an organism and so maybe church as the body has become like that well-known story the story about four people named everybody somebody anybody and nobody because you see there was an important job to be done and everybody was sure that somebody would do it 
Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about it because it was everybody's job. Everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody when nobody did what anybody could have done. The question is, which part of the body am I? So I'm going to encourage us, as we have done over the last few weeks, to gather in groups in which, while we are going to be praying, I want us to share about what each one of us believe is the part of the body that we need to be. What is the particular gift that we know by the grace of God has been afforded to us? Share that within the group and then make the commitment that we will be part of the body of Christ. So let me pray and then I'm going to invite you oh, there, all of a sudden <laughs> and then I'm going to invite you to, to gather in your groups and to, and to share um, keeping in mind this picture of the church as the body and when, and when you have shared and please everybody share um, which part of the body you believe you are part of um, and sometimes you might even have insight um, to those who might not be aware of the particular gift that they have, but encourage that and pray for that so that we will become the body of Christ. And so, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have called us to be your church. And while, dear Lord, we confess and we have to admit that we have not always exercised these characteristics as to what it means to be your church. We pray that you might once again renew us, pour your spirit upon us, that we might be unified, diversified in love, as we pray this through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.